You can be seated. It's wonderful to see so many people here. I love the people who chose the shadow over here to sit. And that area is gradually getting smaller and smaller until we will all be equally hot and equally sweaty <laughs> together. It's amazing. <laughs> so, all right. So, so this morning we're actually going to be covering a lot of ground in a short amount of time because, of course, we're preaching through the book of Exodus. And, and this morning we're looking at Exodus 7:14 through to the end of Exodus chapter 11. Um, so if you have your Bible, feel free to turn to Exodus chapter 7, um, starting at verse 14. I won't be reading much of it. We'll, we will just be plowing through and trying to get some kind of maybe like an overview that will hopefully get us in mind for what comes next, which is the baptism. We will be baptizing seven people this morning, which is super exciting. So I'm really excited that all of you guys are here to support them. But we know uh, Exodus chapter 7 as the, as the part of the Bible known as the 10 plagues when God visits Egypt with 10 supernatural plagues all because Pharaoh will not let his people go to worship him in the wilderness. And so we know, we know of the plague of blood and the plague of frogs and there was a plague of gnats and flies and of livestock and of boils and hail and locusts and darkness and then, yeah, the death of the firstborn. Now, uh, lots of the commentators and historians make the connection that each of these plagues actually represents one of the gods of Egypt. Okay, so they weren't random; they were specific. For example, there was a god called Happy. Okay, not H A P P Y, but H A P I, Happy, um, who was the god of the flooding of the Nile, and the Nile was literally the thing that made life even really possible in the country of Egypt. So when Yahweh turns the water into blood, he's showing his power over the god Happy. Then there was also a fertility god called Heket, who was a frog. She had the body of a person and the face of the frog. She looked like one of those uh, fairy tale kisses gone wrong, you know? It only partially worked. She still had the body of a human, or she had the body of a human, that's good, but she had the face of a frog. And you can actually look at the, you know, at the uh, ancient, ancient, um, maybe hieroglyphics of her. Uh, now, so when, of course, you have millions of frogs all across the land, you know, you just imagine now if there was tons of frogs here, thousands of frogs here, we wouldn't be able to have a worship service. It would be super distracting. And so if you have lots of frogs in the bedrooms and lots of frogs in the birthing units, then there's probably not a lot of fertility going on in that country. And so God is undermining the God of fertility with her very symbol, a frog. It's a bit like um, that wonderful Canadian singer who would sing something like this. It's like tons of frogs representing fertility. No, sorry, I'm gonna start that again. It's like tons of frogs Preventing fertility when the fertility god is a frog herself altogether, and isn't it ironic? Don't you think? Okay, so that's that's kind of what was going on there. If Alanis Morissette was around, so so the plagues of God kind of flexing his muscles against the local gods, and we could really sum it up like this: that there were two rival kingdoms. It was the kingdom of Pharaoh and the kingdom of God, and both are laying claim to God's people. So Pharaoh says. The Hebrews are mine. They're my slaves. They're my workforce. And God says, no, 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 they're not. They're mine. So let them go. And the issue at the heart of this epic face-off 
is worship because, you know, the people of God want to worship God. And so we're going to call them the kingdom of the worshipping heart. Everyone say that together. The kingdom of the worshipping heart. One more time. The kingdom of the worshipping heart. Okay, so those are the Hebrews. But then we have Pharaoh whose heart is hard and he refuses. So we're going to refer to Pharaoh as representing the kingdom of the hardening heart. Let's say that all together. The kingdom of the hardening heart. So we have the kingdom of the worshipping heart in the red corner and the kingdom of the hardening heart in the blue corner. Now, of course, as we're sat here, this totally applies to us. We have seven people this morning um, who are openly and clearly saying... um, you know, to all who are watching in the most public way they can, that they are no longer citizens of the kingdom of the hardening heart. Instead, they are citizens of the worshipping heart. And actually, God sums up this incredible transformation in, in, uh, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse uh, number 26. He says this, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, the hardening heart, and I will give you a heart of flesh, a worshipping heart. Now, why is Pharaoh the king or the king of the hardening heart? Why isn't he just, you know, the king of the hard heart? Why, why is he, you know, the king of the hardening heart? Well, quite simply, as you read from Exodus chapter 7 through to chapter 11, you know, the Bible tells us that Pharaoh's heart gets harder and harder and harder, similar to how the Grinch's heart gets smaller and smaller and smaller. It's a process. So the first insight that we get into Pharaoh's heart is in chapter 7, verse 13. It's this moment where God asks Moses and Pharaoh to, or for Moses and Aaron to ask Pharaoh to let the people go. And then they do this stick turning into a snake thing, which is amazing. But then the Egyptian magicians also do their own version of the stick snake thing. And then Aaron's snakes eat the Egyptian magician's snakes, but we're told even after that, it says that Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them. And so God sees this. God sees Pharaoh's heart getting hard and he whispers in Moses' ear. He says, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. And then from there on in, we see this sad sort of a dance that God sends a plague and then we get a glimpse into Pharaoh's heart. And each time, Pharaoh's heart gets harder. In fact, five times after the first five plagues, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. But then after the sixth plague, it says this. It says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And from there on in, there's more of an emphasis of God hardening Pharaoh's heart rather than Pharaoh hardening his own heart. Now, there's been a lot written about this. And, and, um, and, you know, there are people who say that it was God hardening Pharaoh's heart right from the outset Uh, because we read actually in uh, Exodus 7 verse 3 God says even before any of the plagues he says I will harden Pharaoh's heart and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt he will not listen to you but then there are others who say that that as the plagues progress it was Pharaoh hardening his own heart repeatedly until there came a moment when God said okay Pharaoh if this is the way that you want to go then I'm going to join you in your effort to harden your own heart and so however we interpret this the warning is clear be very careful against hardening your heart against God and his voice in your life because there may come a day when God says to you well if that's the way that you want to go why don't we do it? Because ultimately God will not force us 
to worship him. Now, I've uh, visited many countries, and uh, when visiting another country, it's important that you learn some of the key phrases. And one of the first phrases I learned when visiting Germany as a child was, Ich bin Walisisch. Ich bin Walisisch, which means, I am Welsh, which means, don't speak to me in German, because I won't understand you and I won't be able to respond to you. Okay, Ich bin Walisisch. And the kingdom of the hardening heart, Pharaoh's kingdom, has some key phrases. And they're scattered through Exodus 7 through Exodus 11. And we know that they're key phrases of the kingdom of the hardening heart because it's the king himself who uses them. And as we, as we listen to them, you might notice that they sound very reasonable and they seem very reasonable. But in fact, what we find out is that they're all attempts to try to convince us away from full-hearted worship of God. In other words, these phrases are lies. So the first phrase which we hear, this, this, this uh, key phrase from the, from the kingdom of the hardening heart is this. When worshipping God, first find out what's in it for you. It's, it's fine to worship him, but first find out what's in it for you. And then the second lie, the second phrase is, only worship God if you are desperate. Only worship God in the hard times. And then the third lie is this, when worshipping God, don't go too far. Don't go too far. And so the first lie of the kingdom of the hardening heart is, when worshipping God, first find out what's in it for you. So Exodus 8 verse 8 says this, Pharaoh summoned, so as I'm reading this, try to have an image in your mind. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. In other words, what Pharaoh is saying is, I will allow worship to happen, but only if I get what I want first. First you take the frogs away, and then you can worship. And friends, we need to be careful when we bring ultimatums to the Lord like this, because this is a sign of someone's heart getting hard. And so when the kingdom of the hardening heart says, worship God, but find out what's in it for you first, the kingdom of the worshiping heart has its own phrase. And it says, no, that's wrong. Instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you as well. Matthew 6.33. The the, uh, second lie from the kingdom of the hardening heart is this. Only worship God if you are desperate. Right, And we, we see this all, all around us, right? In fact, we see it in our own lives. It's a, it's a real big one because we hardly give God a second thought until we hit a road bump in our life. And then suddenly we are panic praying like there's no tomorrow. Hands up if you've ever done that. You know, you're not really praying, you're not really doing your devotions. And then a hard time comes along and suddenly, Lord, I know that you're real. Help me, help me, help me. Right? Hands up if you've ever done that. Yeah, my hands up. Because I've done that. And, um, and so, like, you know, we saw this last year, right? No one cared about toilet paper. No one gave, gave toilet paper a thought <laughs> until there was no toilet paper. And then suddenly everyone wants toilet paper. And they're probably even praying about toilet paper, right? <laughs> and, and it's the same thing here. We see in Exodus 9, verse number 28, it says, Pray to the Lord, for we've had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay here any longer. Now, Moses hears this, of course, and he's not fooled. In the very next verse, he says to Pharaoh, I will pray for the hail to stop, but I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord, my God. And so the kingdom of the hardening heart says, yes, pray, but only pray, only worship, only put God first when you've got no other choice. 
when you've had enough. Other than that, keep God on the periphery. Keep him at arm's length. But the kingdom of the worshipping heart says, I love Jesus so much that I want to get closer and closer to him. And I want to give over more of my life and my time and my resources and my heart and my money. I want him to have everything. Why? Because he's worthy. I want to worship him and praise him, not only in the hard times, but also in the good times, when I have nothing to gain from it. And uh, So, yeah, the kingdom of the hardening heart says only worship God if you are desperate, but the worshiping heart has its own phrase, and it's this. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Okay, that's the second phrase. And the third lie from the kingdom of the hard heart is this. When worshipping God, don't go too far. Okay, so first it was when worshipping God, find out what's in it for you first. Secondly, only worship God if you are desperate. And thirdly, when worshipping God, don't go too far. Right? And again, we hear this all the time. Don't be one of those Christians. Don't be extreme for Jesus. Just be unnoticed. Don't do anything un-Canadian. Don't do anything crazy. Don't go on a missions trip. Don't share your faith with words. Instead, just be nice. Because being nice is enough. It's written in the Bible. Just be nice. All right? Don't do anything out of the ordinary. Don't, don't draw attention to yourself. Don't ever get baptized. Right? Because that's drawing attention to yourself. Don't go too far. And so in Exodus, God called, so what the, what the scenario for this one is, is that God called the Israelites to worship him in the desert, in the wilderness. But then in Exodus 8.25, Pharaoh says, go, sacrifice to your God here in the land. Okay? He brings it back. He says, you don't need to go into the desert. You can do it here where I can see you and where I can control you. And then Moses says, well, no, the Egyptians won't like our sacrifices. They'll find them offensive. And then Pharaoh concedes, oh, okay, I'll let you go offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but don't go too far. Okay, and then later on in chapter 10, verse 10, Pharaoh says that they can go and worship God in the wilderness, but only the men, not the women and the children. And then just 14 verses later, Pharaoh concedes and says, Okay, go worship the Lord. Even your women and your children can go with you. Such largesse from Pharaoh. Such a generous, magnanimous spirit. Only leave your flocks and your herds behind. Right? So, you know, the kingdom of the hardening heart sounds so reasonable. It's willing to negotiate as long as it stops you from wholehearted worship of God and following God's call on your life. And so, friends, I would encourage you to be careful when you hear words of reason that say, I will let you do such and such. Or you, you can go only, and then there's a condition put to it. Friends, these words are actually poison because if you are God's, then he's the one that has a claim on your life. And so I love Moses' response to Pharaoh's reasonable request in chapter 10, verse number 25. He says, no, our livestock must go with us, not a hoof is to be left behind. Not a hoof is to be left behind. A hoof. Is that, what do you say, hoof, hoof? You know, the feet, you know, the foot of a cow? Not one of those is to be left behind. 
And so as a citizen of the kingdom of the worshipping heart, you can say, no, I will go where God calls me and I will obey his calling on my life. If this is God's requirement of me, then not a hoof is to be left behind. So when the kingdom of the hardening heart says, worship God, but don't go too far. The kingdom of the, so that's the kingdom of the hardening heart. Then the kingdom of the worshipping heart says, it is the Lord your God you must follow and him you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him, serve him and hold fast to him. Deuteronomy 13 verse 4. Friends, the kingdom of the hardening heart always loses in the end. At the present time, it might not look like it, but Pharaoh, he had everything, but he ultimately ended up losing his workforce, his military, his reputation, the respect and the confidence of the people closest to him. He lost his crops and his livestock. He even lost his firstborn son. And he didn't have to, but he set himself up against the one true God, and he lost. And Yahweh took on God after God after God in Egypt, and each time he won because he's the king of the kingdom of the worshipping heart, and he is absolutely focused, and he's, he gave everything to, so, so that you and I can be free, free from sin, free from the consequences of sin, free, free from the ultimate consequences of sin, free from guilt, free from purposelessness, free from being alone. Christ came to set us free, to worship him and to build for himself a kingdom of the worshiping heart. And so just like our baptism in a few minutes will show us, we are free when, when we die to our old selves when we reject our slavery to the kingdom of the hardening heart and we become citizens of the kingdom of the worshipping heart. We, we rise again from spiritual death into spiritual life. That's what this symbol means. God's heart is always about freedom. In fact, back in Exodus 6 verse 6, he said, I've heard the groaning of the Israelites, right? This is why God sent the plagues, because he's heard the groaning of, his, of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are slaving, who are enslaving. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And friends, for each of you this morning, I want to tell you that God hears your groaning of slavery this morning. He hears your enslavement to sin and to shame and to repetitive cycles of brokenness. And he longs to set you free and he will do anything to set you free. He's already done everything to set you free by sending his son. And maybe you've never made the choice to transfer from the kingdom of, the, of, of, of hard-heartedness into the kingdom of the worshiper. But this morning, you can do that. All you need to do is to trade your hard heart in for a worshipping heart and say to God, would you do this for me? You can say to him that you're sorry for living against him and you can ask him to cleanse you and to forgive you and to make you new and he will in that moment, in that second. Or maybe you're here and you love Jesus, but you've noticed a bit of hard-heartedness maybe getting back into your life. You're worshipping less and you're resisting more. That can happen. You see, even after the Israelites were freed, they had to battle hard-heartedness in the desert. So if this is you, let me close by reading a few verses of Scripture from Hebrews chapter 3. And as I read them, let the Holy Spirit speak to you, whether you're someone who wants to transfer from the kingdom of the, of the hardening heart to the kingdom of the worshipping heart this morning, or if you're someone that's 
is in the kingdom of the worshiping heart, but you've noticed some hard-heartedness maybe moving into your life, listen to what the Holy Spirit says to us this morning. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me Though for 40 years they saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end.